Hey, welcome to night school. I thought it would be fitting since I did uh, the final episode of the year yesterday to go ahead and do a new episode today to start out the new year. The new year. Welcome to the new year. Um, you know, I was reading a, a book, a chapter in a book today, and it was talking about forgiveness, and I almost didn't want to read it. Because I don't feel like I have any issues forgiving anybody. I don't. I don't have any issues forgiving myself. And even when I was more inclined to, you know, think negatively, think cynically, and that's still there. You know, every time I say that, I, I, I want to make it very clear that I don't not have those things. The roots of those things are still very much there for me, and I'm glad. You know, I'm glad that I still have those impulses because. You can do something with that. You can be creative with that. Uh, but when I was in, when I had less control over those things, I have to say that I I never struggled to forgive anybody because I never felt that I had been truly wronged by anybody, and that wasn't necessarily a virtue. You know, I don't want this to be mistaken as me saying, you know, I never had any issue forgiving anybody, because. It wasn't virtuous because I still resented people. I still didn't like people. I still held grudges against people, which was even worse in some ways because I didn't feel that they wronged me and I knew that nobody had wronged me, yet I still resented them for things sometimes that were beyond their control, just for being who they were, just for saying things I didn't like that had nothing to do with me. And... Uh, so, so in, in some ways, that's harder to work with than feeling wronged by people. Because if you've been wronged by people, or if you just feel that they've wronged you, at least there's some direct relationship to your between your resentment or your whatever that feeling is, whether it's negativity, whether it's pain, whatever it is, at least there's a direct relationship, or you think there is, because some of it's an illusion. Uh, a lot of it is, but... Uh, you know, sometimes people do really fucked up things to each other. Sometimes people do things that aren't even that fucked up, but they, they still mess with someone. They still uh, do something, and that person holds that with them. So I was, you know, reading this chapter, this book about forgiveness, and I, I was thinking, you know, I don't really need to read this. But like I was talking about yesterday, you know, sometimes you just got to let yourself read it. You know, I think sometimes, especially if you think this doesn't apply to me, you got to actually read it and you don't know what you're going to get out of it. And it plays into what I was talking about yesterday, what I've talked about many times on here, which has been important to me and plays in very closely with everything I've said already in these first three minutes. Uh, and that's the idea of getting something out of something or someone that you don't want to get something out of at the very least. And that's speaking the most generally about it. That's that's putting it in the most general terms uh, in a much more specific way. The way that I usually try to present it is when it's someone that you don't like, you have this idea that you can't get anything of value out of them. And that spills out into you know if it, if it's an extreme dislike if it's if it's what you believe to be a hatred or if you don't believe if you don't believe yourself to be a hateful person um it doesn't i don't know what i don't know what i'm saying there um just let's just say it's someone you, who you 
extremely dislike. And when you extremely dislike someone, if you think you hate somebody, there's this idea that you can't possibly get any value out of what they're saying. And let's just talk about like what hatred is, because that's something that I feel like hatred has become this brand term. It's like this brand name, and it only applies to certain expressions or, or certain types of people when, you know, hatred comes from the heart, just like everything else, just like every other emotion. And the way I see hatred is it is assuming the worst possible, it, it's the worst possible interpretation of what a person is saying and what a person is. It's the worst possible interpretation of what someone is being, their very being. That, to me, is what hatred is. It's not just assuming the worst. It's not just refusing to give someone the benefit of the doubt. It's giving the worst possible interpretation of who someone is. And when you have that attitude, you're going to just refuse you're just you're going to stubbornly refuse to take anything of value from that person you're cuz you're refusing to recognize any value within them and if you don't recognize any value within them you're not going to get anything out of them either and when i say get something out of them i don't mean it in a greedy way like how can i use this how can i use this how can i get some value out of this person i don't mean it like that at all but you know, seeing them as a resource of some kind, you know, and it could be anything. And it's the same thing, too, for when you're bored or, or when you think something doesn't apply to you. And for me this morning, it was, you know, reading this chapter about forgiveness. I was like, I don't, because I've actually sat there and thought about this. And, and I think this is an important thing to do, and I would recommend it, is sit there and think, like, is there anybody right now who... I feel some, you know, significant grudge against or who I feel has wronged me or who I feel if it, in my case where it's like who hasn't wronged me but I still resent and I still do deal with resentment. I still do deal with grudges. Um but it's it's important sometimes to sit there and actually think and try to identify it. Because sometimes you go around with resentment and grudges. Sometimes you go around with this general resentment, and it kind of it sticks to certain people when you think about them. But when you actually sit down and think about it, you realize you don't really have an issue with them. And reminding yourself of that is important, and you'll feel that resentment lift off off from you, uh, lift off of you, lift off. It's lift off. Uh, and. Uh, you know, so I think it's good to sit there and actually think about that, because if you think about and and if you do identify people who you have a you know significant resentment toward or a grudge against, uh, you then have to ask why, and that's one of the most important parts of this whole thing. But to get back to what I'm saying, it's it's you know sometimes it's not just listening to a person that you don't like and potentially taking something of value from. Not just what they're saying, but maybe even just the interaction itself. It doesn't have to be just one little, uh, it doesn't have to be an idea. It could be a process. And that might be getting too abstract, but, you know, I think I think people can understand that. I think if you're listening to this show, you can understand what that means. Like, even just the interaction itself, the process of interacting with somebody could be of some kind of benefit to you, even if you your initial impulse is to reject it. 
Uh, but uh, but it could also be something like thinking that you know a chapter of a book doesn't apply to you, thinking that some advice or insight doesn't apply to you. And I know I struggle with that. I've even had conversations recently where someone has tried to you know not give me advice, but just pass on some wisdom. And my impulse is, oh, I already know. Uh, I, I already know that. And so not immediately saying that, I don't know, let's, let's go with a mom reference, you know. Uh, my mom taught me as a kid that if someone is giving you a present for your birthday and you already have it, just nod and thank them and, and act like, you know, act like you don't already have it. Uh, don't say, I already have this. You know, uh, just just nod along and thank them and, and go through the motions as if you had never received that before, as if it was a brand new gift that you didn't already have. And I would say the same thing in, in many cases. If somebody tries to pass some wisdom along or advice along or just tells you something they think would be helpful, I mean, there, there's a certain way that it can be really annoying or patronizing, and I think you know the difference. You know, I think that we all can know, we all know the difference between somebody who's being sincere, between someone who genuinely has your interest in mind and somebody who's just doing some self-serving exercise. Um, we don't always know the difference in ourselves, <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, right now here I'm thinking like, God, here I am with, a, I'm given another self-serving exercise. Uh, but uh, but really, it's something I think we can all figure out when someone's doing that. But I think the same thing that my mom taught me about receiving a birthday gift from a friend and just, if you already have it, don't tell them. And I think the same thing applies when someone tells you something. And that's to be like, if you think you already know it, just be like, oh yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you, you know, and you don't you don't want to be insincere yourself. And that's like one of those weird little soft lies where, you know, you can take this attitude of like, I'm never going to lie about anything. I'm never going to lie about anything. And the result is just being an asshole. Uh, so I think there's something to be said for like, you know, that kind of soft lying where you're, you don't tell them, you've already heard this, I already know this. And how do you know you already know? You know, maybe you think you already know. Maybe you've gone through the motions of knowing that, but it's going to take hearing it from somebody uh else to actually resonate, or maybe you are going to think about it slightly different. Maybe it will be helpful. Maybe even even if it is nothing new, maybe it will reinforce something in you. Maybe it will reinforce that idea that you already know even more and allow you to do more with it. So I would say taking that, that gift approach to it is important, even if you don't feel like it's a gift. Going through the motions and treating it like it's, an, it's something new you know, I think that's something you can apply to anything. That can apply to walking down the street, you know? That can apply to looking at... You, you, could, you could walk through the woods and look at a tree and be like, I've already seen that tree before because I've already walked here. I've already been here. You know, if you go to the woods and, and walk a trail and, and you go to that, to that trail more than once, you can always say to yourself, oh, I've already been here. I've already seen that tree. You know, I've already looked at that body of water that's beautiful. I've already taken in the beauty of that body of water once. Why do I need to do it again? And I think the same can apply to ideas and 
uh, things that you think you already know. I think you can treat it like going to the woods. And if it's something that doesn't serve you at all, if it's something that doesn't actually have value, then, you know, you know that. You, at least you know. At least you know you don't need to hear it again, I guess. Um, but it's especially true, like, going back to the idea of, you know, someone who you don't like. And as I've said before, you know, it's if an idea can swim across that gap that allegedly wide canyon between you and someone that you extremely dislike, if an idea or something of value can come from that, that's pretty incredible, you know? And that should tell you that that idea, or if it is some sort of process, if it is just the interaction itself, but let's just go with ideas, because I think that's easier for someone to understand. If that idea can actually travel across that gap, that wide gap, that treacherous lava-filled gap, then it must be of really significant value. It must really be important to travel across that wide of a distance. And maybe the distance isn't as wide as you thought if an idea can travel across it, because that's the other side of it, is on one hand, it gives the idea extra value because the idea was able to travel across this wide expanse, but then you start to question whether that expanse is really as wide as you thought it was because something was able to travel across it. So it's interesting. You can get a lot out of that sort of experience. And I think that one reason I want to talk about this today, too, even though it's been talked about on the show many times, is because it's going to be really important this year to do this. Things are going to be ramping up politically. I try not to get too specific about this stuff, but it's, you know, specificity, along with being a fun word to say, is also important sometimes. And I think with this year, things are probably going to ramp up politically. It's probably going to be chaotic. It's probably going to be confusing. It already is chaotic and confusing. And if it becomes less so, that'll just be fucking amazing. <laughs> if 2020 becomes less chaotic and confusing with the upcoming political election, with all the social unrest that's been going on, that it will truly be a miracle. That will be something, that will be a process traveling across a wide expanse uh, unexpectedly if, if things become less chaotic and confusing. But I think this is important to keep in mind going into this year. And it doesn't mean you should, you know, undermine your own values or accept things that you feel are truly and deeply unacceptable, but you should question that. And by questioning that, you will, you know, temper the true value in whatever it is you believe or feel. And you don't lose anything by taking something of value or benefiting from an idea that comes from someone you don't like. You don't actually add any weight to, to the aspects of them that you are, you are opposed to. Um, you're the only one who benefits. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say you're the only one who benefits, but you benefit, and that's what you're trying to get. And if you benefit, someone else can then benefit from you. You can actually become the representative of that idea. And I do like giving credit where it's due, and, you know, you could go to an extreme in all this and, and someone could could listen to this and be like, oh, so what you're telling me is, is I should sit there and I should uh, just watch Hitler's speeches all day 
on the off chance that I get a little gem of knowledge. And it's like, well, maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, I don't recommend that. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, that would be a very extreme example. But you should be open toward getting some small bit of wisdom from anything and everything or nothing. You know, maybe in a moment of taking nothing in, and that's the other side of this, and it plays into yesterday's episode, where it might be in that moment where you think you're truly bored and there is nothing around, that some bit of insight will come to you, that you something you've never thought of before. Sometimes you need a blank slate to think of something new. And... Uh, you know, can you really take credit for it if the moment that produced that something new that you're thinking came from nothing? I think you have to give some credit to nothing. Give some credit to boredom. Give some credit to nothingness. If a new idea comes to you, give some credit to the nothingness that produced that. And if you can give credit to the nothingness, you can certainly give credit to someone you don't like who somehow passed something along to you. Probably unintentionally, because if they don't like you, they don't want you to benefit from anything you're saying, and that should give you some motivation to take something of value. If the person that you're listening to thinks, you're not my target audience, that's a great opportunity to become their target audience and be like, oh, you don't want me to hear anything of value? I'm going to take something of value. And if, like I said, if you can give credit to the void to nothingness, you can certainly give credit to the, the person you don't like because the, they are very much a something, even if you think they're nothing. And that plays into the idea, too, of where people give credit to God. You know, sometimes, you know, it's always funny when a football player, I think of Russell Wilson, you know, uh, but I think of a lot of pretty much tons of professional athletes, tons of really successful professional athletes. You know, they'll win a game and they're asked, you know, how'd you do it? That that always compelling question of like, how'd you guys win the game? And so often players say, well, I have to give credit to God. And a lot of people criticize them for that. And I used to be one of those people who criticized them that like, oh, yeah, you know, you, you worked really hard and you have this natural talent and the combination of hard work and natural talent made you win the game. So why are you thanking God? And I understand it more now. And you don't have to give credit to God. You can give credit to any number of things. I mean, these parallels exist in different belief systems. Uh, you hear as above, so below in you know Eastern spiritual you know, beliefs and uh, esoteric uh, practices. And, you know, in the Bible it says, you know, God created man in his image. And some people take that very literally, you know, where it's like, oh, that means God has a penis. Uh, and it's like, no, you that's as above, so below, too. And it's the idea... I was talking to a friend yesterday, and, and she was explaining how... In uh, I think it's a Nichiren Buddhism. I think that's what it is. Uh, I might be saying that wrong. Uh, but uh, how it's like the idea is that we are all universes unto ourselves, and we operate. We you know we function the same way as the the wider universe around us. And I was talking about professional athletes thanking God, but I think some of those ideas apply. 
and in in recognizing that you know we might be small but the same process that plays out on a larger level also plays out in us individually i think in doing that you don't get more of an ego. You don't think, oh, because I function the same way that the universe functions, because I have the same percentage of water in my body that the earth has in its oceans, uh, which is apparently true, something to that effect. There's the same amount of water on the earth is the same amount of water that we have in our bodies. As above, so below. Uh, it turns out the entire universe has the same amount of water in it as the same percentage of water in it as the earth and our bodies do too. Let's try to measure that. How much water is there out in the universe? Um, uh, no, but but in the same, you know, it, you might hear that and think like, oh, as above, so below. That's the most egotistical thing I've ever heard. Because if God created man in his image, that means that we are all gods too, or we all resemble gods, or we all, you know follow some similar process to the process that God follows, or, or we exist in a similar state, and yeah, you can take it that way. You can see that as egotistical. You can see that as, I'm really important, and I think that's good. I think that people who need that, there's people who are really hurt and feel really weak, and I think it's important for them to hear that. They, you know, they actually do have more importance and more control than they realize. But I think on the other side, it's extremely humbling because you start to not be able to take credit for the things you do, where it's like, oh, well, if the same process plays out in me that plays is the same thing that plays out in the universe, or it's the same, if there is, you know, some if I'm some smaller, you know, reflection of what God is, if you want to, you know, use that word, then how can I really take credit for the things that I do? How can I really take credit for the things that I think? And I think that's what these professional athletes are doing, where, yeah, you can be cynical, and you can say, oh, they're full of shit, by thanking God. Someone's full of shit when they thank the universe. You know, you can be cynical and you can say that, or you can look at it and say, hmm... It's an interesting phenomenon that all of these extremely successful athletes, many of them, I'm not going to say all of them, but there is a huge number of them, they all give credit to God first. They all give credit to something larger. At the very least, a larger process. You don't have to see it as the guy God. You know, they're not necessarily saying like, I'm thanking the God with the penis up there because I have a penis too. And, you know, God created me in his image, therefore I have to thank him. Whatever that, that whatever I just said, whatever that means, I don't know. Uh, but you can really look at it as them crediting a larger process. And that plays back into what I'm talking about, about just listening to somebody that you think you can't get anything from. It's, again, you know, thinking about it as a larger process and... You know, with this year, you know, with this year potentially ramping up, hostility and tension potentially ramping up, it is something that's important to consider. You know, looking at it as a larger process than just me and this person I don't like, 
who may not even be aware of you, because that's a thing that's so common now, where it's, you know, there, there's these well-known people, there's celebrities, there, there's, you know, politicians, there's these people that we direct so much animosity toward, sometimes it's justified, whatever, you can justify anything. Uh, but, you know, so often we direct all this negative energy toward these people, and we think these people are so important because we're told they're important, and, you know, by directing our own energy at them, we add to that, we add to that alleged importance that they have, and they're important, but they're not any more important than you are, uh, and they're no less important either, but we, we've developed this weird relationship with them, and... I think the most frustrating thing of all for a lot of people is that it's a one-way relationship. Or if it's not one way, it's they're very different streets going each way. Where, say, the street that takes you to Donald Trump is much different than the street that takes him to you. And that frustrates people to no end. Because uh, it turns out the street that he communicates on the, the street that he travels on to get to you is a huge fucking street that runs by everybody's houses. Whereas you just, all you can do is like reply to his Twitter, you know? So the <laughs> people are frustrated by that when someone, when it's a two way street, cause everything pretty much is, uh, people get very frustrated though. When something's a two way street, but the street that they have to get to that person or to get to that thing is way narrower than the street that that person travels on to get to all the people who they impact. That's something that people struggle with a lot. And it's one of the reasons why people want to be famous, because they want to have that wide open road to reach as many people as they can at any given time. Uh, but, you know, this this year, to go back to this year, uh, it is important to consider this. It is very important to consider that people who you think you hate or you think are fundamentally different from you may have something of value that you previously haven't considered, or if you have considered it, they may be able to communicate it to you in a way that you, that gives you an epiphany, that gives you some kind of realization. And that could be exactly the thing you need at the exact moment that you need it. And when that happens, it's powerful. It, it's more powerful than if somebody that you already like, who already agrees with you, who you've already placed on some pedestal, you know, it's more powerful than if you got something from that person. Because if you already like someone, if you already agree with someone, if you've walled yourself off in some little micro community of people who agree with you, even though you might like what they're saying... How much impact does it really have when you hear it? You know, how much impact does it really have when you're talking to somebody and they're saying the thing that you already say all the time yourself anyway? Or that it has no edge to it. It's just this, the, and, and by that I mean it's like a feedback loop. You hear that phrase a lot where it's just this continuous loop and there's no edge to a feedback loop. There's no beginning or end to it. And... You know, sometimes that's good for reinforcement to just hear the same things over and over again, but there's no edge to it. And that edge doesn't have to be something controversial. It doesn't have to be something that shakes the entire foundation of your being. But it's good to know where, where an idea begins and ends. 
And if you're getting that idea from someone that you may not be comfortable getting ideas from, you're going to find out exactly where that idea begins and ends. Because that person's also going to be saying things that you disagree with. They're also going to be doing things that you don't like. And when, when one thing comes from... Let me put it this way. When, when an idea you like comes from someone or something you generally don't like, that idea is going to have kind of a, a boundary around it. It's going to be, let's, not, call it, let's not, even, not even call it a boundary. Let's just say it's easily defined. And I think that's what gets lost in feedback loops. That's what gets lost when people wall themselves in with people that they agree with all the time. Things become undefined. They bleed into each other. And, you know, it's cool when things do that, you know, in some ways. You start to, you know, see parallels between things and, you know, you realize, I don't know. Uh, but you, w- when it comes to these, like, feedback loops of ideas, especially when it's, you know, ideological in nature or, you, you know, you limit your belief system and it just, you know, it repeats in that feedback loop over and over again, it becomes kind of undefined and when something comes from outside, it's clearly defined. It's like a comet. Uh, it's 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 it you know it's, it's it has this outline or glow to it, and you can see where it begins and it ends. Um, but that that'll probably be the only message here. We're hitting about a half hour. I do want to keep these episodes on the shorter side when possible. And. There's some different things that I hope that anybody who listens to this considers. And it's not as simple as just being open-minded. You know, because I feel like being open-minded can be a trick. You know, where go in with an open mind. Well, that's one of those things. It's a cliche. And, you know, if you tell yourself you're an open-minded person, that's good. And it's good to take it. It's it's better than being like, I'm a closed-minded person. Although it's important to acknowledge the truth, it's important to recognize that, you know, you are capable at any moment of shutting things down and shutting yourself down in the process. Because uh, that's what you do when you think you don't like an idea or you think you don't like a person and therefore anything they say is something you don't like, is you shut yourself down. And you don't want to shut yourself down. You want to protect yourself, but you don't want to shut yourself down. Shutting down isn't protecting yourself. And you don't want to distort what anyone is saying. Like I was saying before about what hatred is. And you shouldn't be afraid of hatred. I think that's another thing, too, is hatred has become this fearsome and... A lot of people say that hatred itself is fear. You know, a lot of phobias, uh, these homophobias, whatever else, whatever whatever other, you know, social phobias people have, uh, you know, there's a reason why hatred is correlated so closely with fear. And there's a reason for that. You know, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's one of those cliches yet again, but it is true, where... You know, when you hate someone and you refuse to take anything from that person of value, it's because you fear it more than anything else. You fear the possibility that they could potentially say something that could positively impact you. 
And I want to make it clear, too, I don't mean things that are going to change your mind. Because that's the other side of it, is, is and, and it's where a lot of the fear comes from, is that people don't want to listen to someone who they they hate because they think, I can't let any of their ideas in because it might change me and make me more like them, and therefore I will become the person that I hate. There is that fear that, you know, letting one you know, mouse crawl under the cupboard door is going to, you know, open the possibility that the mice are just going to live there and they're going to eat all your food. Uh, and that's some, if you're aware of that, you know, that's a big part of the battle. I mean, you're going to be able to protect yourself if you're aware of that. But uh, it's not even just about like be changing your mind because I want to make that clear too. And like you know, I mentioned open mindedness. It's not even about listening to someone you potentially disagree with because you want to have your mind changed. It's not about having your mind changed. They might have something of value that benefits what you already believe or parallels it in some way, and you might stop hating them in the process. You know, that might be the true benefit of all this is that if you recognize that someone you hate has something of value that you can use that reinforces some positive aspect of your life or enhances your own personal philosophy in some way or even just makes you laugh. Let's let's get into that. Like this doesn't have to be all, all serious, you know, um, but just to finish that thought, like if you recognize that, that person has something, uh, it's not nothing. You know, if they have something that they can give to you, even if they don't want to, especially if they don't want to, and especially if you don't want it either. If neither of you wants that, wow, you know, the fact that you could get something out of that is is huge. And, uh, you know, and if that makes you hate them less or not hate them at all in the process, you know, that might be the true benefit of all of it. Because in, in that process, you are forgiving them. And we're full circle back to forgiveness here. You know, I read this chapter in this book about forgiveness, and I didn't plan on really getting into the idea of forgiveness, but when you stop hating someone, that is a form of forgiveness, and you fear them less. Uh, but I, I just what I was saying a second ago, where it doesn't have to be something ultra-serious and philosophical or spiritual or anything else that is you know, ground-shaking. It could just be they make you laugh, because that's one of the biggest problems I find in this current climate of people... I just spilled coffee all over my chair. Um, uh, all over my chair. I'm just spilling coffee all over my chair. Um, but uh, I think that's one of the biggest problems, actually, and it's one of the biggest complaints that I see time and time again is this perceived humorlessness, where... Because people disagree about social or political issues or anything else under the sun, because people disagree about everything, they really do, there's always a reason to disagree in people's minds. Uh, just look at comment sections online. It's just disagreeing about everything. Here's an idea. Let's disagree about it. Uh, but the biggest problem with this, you know, climate of disagreement, which isn't necessarily new, but I think we're very aware of it because of how close, how close the com the levels of communication are with each other these days. I think we're just much more aware of disagreement. We have a lot more opportunities to disagree with each other through different devices. 
but, uh, you know, I think one of the biggest issues I continually see is this perceived humorlessness, that if you disagree with someone, you can't laugh at their joke. And it's not even if you disagree with the the actual joke. It's not even if you're just offended by the joke and you can't laugh at it because it's offensive in some way. It's also, they could say something that isn't offensive, but if you think you disagree with them on some larger level, you won't laugh at the joke. And I've had that experience, like, I remember working with people who I didn't like. I remember a guy in particular who just rubbed me the wrong way in every way. And we were both the type of people who made jokes in the workplace. And I noticed that we never laughed at each other's jokes. And I started to try to like smile or or chuckle just so that it wouldn't be so obvious. You know, (laughs) like it wasn't about me even trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. It was that I just didn't want it to be so obvious that there was like this rivalry. And I don't even think it was a rivalry. I think it was I just didn't like the guy. Uh, but it was this thing where, like, I felt like there were times where, like, he said things that were funny, but I felt like I just couldn't, I couldn't laugh. You know, I just couldn't allow myself to laugh because I didn't like him. And you take that situation and you see that everywhere right now. You see it even in comedy where, you know, there's this this war within comedy where it's like, this is acceptable, this is unacceptable. Uh, and, you know, comedy should be a place where it's all acceptable. You know, everything in the context of comedy becomes something that, that you can reasonably laugh at, you know, without being judged or without it being some indication of, of like, your, I don't know, you know, you know what I mean? It's like you should be able to laugh at anything that's intended to be a joke. But we do exist in this time where it's like, if you disagree with someone, you have to at least pause before you laugh at what they say. So it's not just bigger things like philosophy, although I think humor is in many ways bigger than philosophy and politics. I think it's more important. It's more important to me. Humor has done a lot more to make my life better, and I've seen it make a lot of other people's lives better than any serious discussion of what you believe in and why. And if you add comedy to philosophy or politics, it makes those infinitely better and actually makes them more powerful. It gives them a a wider spectrum than they previously had. Uh, You know, so, so you can see where it's like comedy spices those things up, where humor spices those things up. And if something's not funny, it's just not funny. I mean, if something doesn't make me laugh, I'm not gonna laugh at it. But uh, it is one of those things to consider in all this, where it's like, if you feel that you can't even laugh at a joke from someone, even if you find it funny, even if your gut reaction is to laugh, but you think you can't laugh because you don't like that person or you disagree with something they stand for, that's a good chance to consider, you know, what it even is that you believe or, you know, it, that's a good chance to kind of shake your own ground a little bit. Because if you can't even laugh... If you can't even find the humor in something, or even, it's not even about you laughing. It's if you refuse to even recognize that something is a joke. 
Because that's what I see a lot of, is if two people disagree with each other, they don't even want to acknowledge that the other person is joking. They don't even want to acknowledge that something is coming from a place of humor. It's like the humor just drains out through some grate in the floor in that situation, and people don't even don't even give each other the benefit of the doubt that the other person might not be serious. And I think that that's the kind of thing that makes me feel crazy is when I make a blatant joke to somebody and they autistically refuse to even acknowledge that it's a joke. You don't have to find it funny. You don't have to laugh. But I, at the very least, I need you to know that I'm joking. And even if you think that joke is coming from you know some deeper place where it actually reflects some very serious view I have that you don't agree with, at least acknowledge that I'm filtering it through a joke. But kind of a tangent there but you know humor is a, an important part of all this and and uh you know it, it's one thing for an idea to travel across a wide gap but something that's intended to be funny what people call jokes if if a joke can travel across a, a wide gap too that's just as important as some profound realization and oftentimes jokes are profound realizations even silly ones, even stupid ones. Uh, and that, you know, changes your whole idea of what's silly and stupid and profound and all of that is. Because everything's a big mix of all those things. That's what I've realized, is that everything is a big mix of all those things. And you can't really separate anything from anything else. And you can't really separate anyone from anything else. And uh, if you can't separate anything from any, anything else, and you can't separate anyone from anyone else, and you can't separate anything from anyone else, you can't really separate yourself from the universe either. Because it all bleeds into each other. And that's different from a feedback loop, you know? Uh, when everything is participating in the same process, that's not a feedback loop, that's just everything <laughs> that's just that it, it just becomes everything it becomes the totality the wholeness and uh, that's what I'm looking for I'm looking for that wholeness and I don't feel that I can be whole if I disclude anything you know it's good to have boundaries it's good to protect yourself it's good to know who you are uh, if if you if you even think you can you can know that, <laughs> but I'm looking for that wholeness, and that wholeness is not just me within myself feeling whole, but it's me feeling like I'm part of the whole. It's that wholeness that I'm looking for, and I know that I can feel more whole if I listen to people that I might think are at odds with me or that I think don't have anything to offer, or if it's something written in a book that I think I already know, you know, if I open myself up to the possibility that that can help make me more whole, that will make me feel more whole, and it'll make me a part of the larger wholeness. And that is you and the universe mirroring each other. <laughs>
This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free 